Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now I'm going to start today off with a couple quotes that comes from the book uh, that our guest today just published. The name of of the guest is Joseph Emmett, and his book is called Buddha's Book of Meditation, Mindfulness Practices for a Quieter Mind, Self-Aware, and Healthy Living. And just to sort of set the tone, there's a couple quotes here which I really like to sort of, I think, underscore the importance of this concept of meditation that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, The first one is from Buddha. It, It goes, Awake be the witness of your thoughts you are what observes not what you observe and I really think that that says a lot and then there's one from the Dalai Lama if every eight-year-old was taught meditation we will eliminate violence from the world in one generation we know that peace whether at home at work in the community in our nation in our world It really starts with ourselves. It's also pretty clear that the path to inner peace has something to do with this concept of meditation. Meditation is, it seems to me, being more and more on the front page of our news, front page of our of our um, thinking. I I know recently there was a front page or a cover story on meditation in Scientific American. And we're starting to see more and more people give meditation its due. Then again, we have this thing called daily life. What do you do in integrating meditation into our daily lives? What are some tips? What does it mean? Do we need to take an updated perspective on this concept? How can we make use of this concept of meditation in our daily lives. Now, as I said, my guest today is Joseph Emmett. Now, he he has trained with Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh at Plum Village in France and was made a Dharma teacher in Thich Nhat Hanh's tradition. He has a doctorate in music from Boston University, which I think is really interesting. And he's also the author of Buddha's Book of Stress Reduction and Buddha's Book of Sleep, which won the 2013 COVR Award for Best Book of the Year. He's the founder of the Mindfulness Meditation Center in Montreal, and he lives in Point Claire, Canada. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, thank you very much. And I don't think we could, uh, those of us who are not really uh, adept at meditation, I think we could use as many words of wisdom, as many methods to sort of wrap ourselves around this concept as as possible. Uh, I I was particularly struck 
by the Dalai Lama's quote, which I read in the top of the show, which is how important meditation is to really stemming violence. And maybe that's, you know, it's, it's a gigantic topic, but there is something about meditation that has this power that I really don't think we have used. And now in your book, in your new book, you do something here which is unique, and that, and that is you contrast the concept of brainfulness from mindfulness. And so I'd like to have you, first of all, talk about the difference between brainfulness and mindfulness. What is brainfulness? Oh, brainfulness, as I see it, is uh, the, the innate uh, inclinations prejudices, if you like, or preferences of our brain, which uh, came through evolution. Uh, the, all through millions and millions of years, uh, we lived in a world where the rule was the survival of the fittest. And uh, it was a jungle up there. And uh, we fought for to be the dominant male, if we were male, the alpha male. Uh, we risked our lives, we killed others to, 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 to achieve that status and so on. So our brain, that's how our brain uh, uh, came to be what it is. And it still, it still has those same inclinations, preferences, and uh, uh, that's what drives the brain, that aggressivity. And if you look around, all the uh, conjugal violence, all the bullying, all the wars, even our sports, uh, you, you, you uh, watch hockey games, which is very common here in Canada, yeah. and it looks like tribal warfare. Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes people... Uh, the, some of the players leave the arena on a stretcher, you know. Yeah. And and so this is brainfulness. Yeah. Well. Well. Let me. Is what's the relationship, if any, between the ego and and brainfulness? You know, we know in the Eastern tradition a lot of it, a lot of discussion, a lot of of uh, people have written about the need to dispense with the ego. Is is there a relationship between the ego and the brainfulness, or is that, or is there a difference there? I uh, like to think that's slightly a different subject, yeah. because uh, the ego, as used by the Easterners, is not the same well, concept as the ego used uh, by psychologists. Yeah. Uh, th th there is a healthy function, an ego function. Right. This is how you function in the world. This is uh, your limits. This is your possibilities. This is so the ego is is, is not a pejorative word in my vocabulary. I see. Uh, I'm aware that some Eastern folks have used it that way, but I, I don't subscribe to that. Yeah. So so it sounds to me like by brainfulness you mean something like the animal instincts. Exactly. The animal, the animal, inst inst the animal yes. instincts. And so it's sort of like uh, evolving uh, from these animal instincts to a creature that uses mindfulness, that, that realizes the power, the depth of the human mind, and also, of course, of 
what I would call the reflection in human nature. I mean, in physical, in in, um, in mother nature, to to use uh, all of our capabilities and not be stuck into the into the, into thinking that we're only animals. We're out to compete in the survival mode. Right. Yes. Right. Right. Okay. So, well, that's that. I think is very helpful. Now, for those um, who who are wondering what mindfulness is what what do you mean by mindfulness i mean i've used the term myself and it's used all over the place but how how do you use that term what does it mean to you well uh perhaps i could start by saying how i see the difference between the brain and the mind uh i make an analogy in the book uh uh, between sexuality and the sex organ on the one hand. Uh, we all have the sex organs, but our sexuality uh, is how we use those organs, how we see our uh, relation to those organs. I mean, uh, there is, you know, a, a prostitute, a happily married woman, and a nun all have the same sex organs. Uh, but their sexuality, the way they use it, the way they deal with it, is different. And uh, I, so far as I'm concerned, mindfulness has the same relationship to the brain. The brain is an organ, and the mind is how we approach it, how we use it with respect, or with uh, are we slaves to every preference, everything that organ says? Can we talk back to it? How about our values? Uh, how about this beautiful quotation you uh, dug up from Buddha, uh, be a witness. How about being a witness to those urges, those aggressive, domineering, dominant urges that come through, through evolution? How about being a witness to them instead of living them out? Yeah, that that is really well said, and I want to I want to highlight what you I want to highlight the importance of what you just said because it's sort of like drawing back, drawing back from being driven to aggression. I mean, you have a really good um, example in your book about anger, which I think which is something I want to I want to get into a little bit here. We've all gotten angry, and the classic example is getting stuck in traffic. <laughs> You know that that's that's something that there there should be um, sort of a a book just on anger management while driving the car, because you know whether it's and it's typically when someone's in a hurry. But but as you say, you have to take a step back and watch yourself go th- going through this effort of getting mad or this or this process of getting angry, which isn't doing anybody any good, including yourself, mm-hmm. right? It, it's, it's, it is a release of emotion. And so that, I think, is very powerful if you have a method to step back, to go deeper, to like behind the scenes sort of, and watch it unfold. So because I've introduced this concept, you know, the anger example, um, why don't you talk a little bit about what somebody can do or what or what you have sort of instructed folks to do, some of your students, on how to deal with whether it's anger or stress, uh, and what are some steps that um, somebody could use to, 
you know, at least at least do a better job of controlling those unfortunate emotions. Well, one uh, one handle of emotions is uh, the cognitive aspect, and and uh, it's for this reason that we have cognitive behavioral uh, therapies. Uh, emotion, you cannot approach it directly, you cannot control it directly, but you can control it indirectly through your behavior, through your uh, through your cognition, through your thoughts. Uh, I mean, if, if, if someone is getting in your way, uh, you know, in the traffic, you might be mad at him, but if you knew that that person had a handicap of some kind, you know, uh, you might not not feel angry you might feel compassionate you might say I hope he gets through you know whatever so uh, that is that is one one way you know everybody everybody has, has a story that will break your heart I, right. I quote that song and it's, it's, it's very true so uh, we're in the same boat together we all have we all have difficulties and so on so compassion in this way is is, is an, an antidote. Uh, uh, heal yourself with the mind of love. Uh, that's a quote from Thich Nhat Hanh. Yes. Yes. If, yeah, you, yeah. if you have love, then you are free. If you have the mind of love, you are free. Free from what? Free from these automatic surges of emotion like anger and aggressiveness. So, cultivating the mind of love, the mind of compassion, uh, looking at everybody with a with a with the eye of compassion uh, is is really a good antidote. And uh, uh, in the Buddhist world, there is a lot of uh, a lot of practices, a lot of emphasis put on uh, developing compassion. Well, one of the things that has always struck me about about Buddhism and about the way it is taught in some of the schools and I think the the Western sort of perspective of Buddhism is the image of the Buddha sitting under the banyan tree and having you know meditating mm -hmm. and that's that's fine but most of us aren't by banyan trees and and most of us don't find the time to do that that we are sort of immersed in the in the stresses of daily life and and so it becomes like a dichotomy it becomes like an ideal that someday you might have time to meditate and to become one with nature or to rise to a higher level of, of uh, spiritual growth or something so what what in your career, what has helped people sort of integrate sort of the 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 uh, the teachings or or the um, methods of meditation into their into their lives? What what can you do to like actually make it happen uh, in the real world? Well, uh, there are some very simple hints I could give you. One of them. Uh, is many of us uh, have a snooze button on our alarm. Uh, right. You might be one of those people. Yes. I don't yeah. know. I do. Uh, 
I would suggest turn that into a meditate button. Hmm. Uh, when you push that button and lie in bed, you're basically ruminating. You're basically chewing up what comes up. Right. Instead, sit up, tuck the pillow under your buttocks, sit up right where you are, right in bed. Take a few deep breaths. Uh, you can do a guided meditation. Uh, there are three guided meditations available for free download on my website. Um, that Those meditations are part of the Buddha's Book of Meditation. The website is mindfulnessmeditationcenter.org. Center, spelled the Canadian way, T-R-E. And you'd have to click on books and then on Buddha's Book of Meditation. So uh, if, if you're setting it up for 10 minutes or 12 minutes, your snooze alarm, that's, that's about how long those meditations are. So there you are. You don't have to go to a zendo. You don't yeah. have to join a group. Yeah. Turn your bedroom into a zendo. Yeah. Turn that, your alarm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's, a, that's a really good tip. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Joseph Emmett, the author of the new book, Buddha's Book of Meditation, Mindfulness Practices for a Quieter Mind, Self-Aware and Healthy Living, and it's one of the best books on meditation that I have read, and we need books like this in order to uh, sort of get the value of meditation and and put it into our lives and what we're about to talk about with Joseph is how to make this happen in our daily lives and Joseph you just gave, gave a great tip with the with the snooze alarm which <laughs> is something I'm going to I'm going to use now there's there's quite a lot of sort of conflict or put differently there's different approaches that people have to meditate. And I have a feeling that most people think it's harder than it really is. What, what are your sort of words of wisdom for somebody that maybe has tried it, has never really worked, or they've given up on it? What are your words of wisdom to sort of get somebody over the, the hump to, to, to experience uh, as as you say in your book, the joy of meditation. What what are your tips to actually do it? Well, you, you're quite right in mentioning that there are different approaches and different kinds of meditation. In fact, that same book, Buddha's Book of Meditation, the uh, UK version, the English version in England, is Buddha's Book of Mindfulness, hmm. uh, making it very clear that uh, the, the book is about mindfulness meditation, because you're quite right, there are uh, different dif different approaches to meditation, and this is a particular approach that I favor and I know about. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, about mindfulness meditation, one of the things that are important for me is if you do the same practice the same way every day, it can get away from you. It can be monotonous. It would be like eating the same food at every meal. Right. Uh, Buddha himself said that there are 84,000 Dharma doors, meaning that there are many ways of getting into this. And uh, I myself uh, am a creative person in that way. And when I have groups, uh, 
every week, every session is different. Uh, I, I, I use a different way of approaching meditation, a different way of meditating. And, and Thich Nhat Hanh sometimes calls these meditation themes. Uh, there are examples of this on my website, mindfulnessmeditationcenter.org, center, T-R-E. There are 12 practice songs uh, ready for download, which are part of, part of the book on meditation. Uh, these songs also approach meditation from a different standpoint. And in that book as well, each chapter approaches meditation from a different angle. Mm. So uh, it's true that the basics of uh, meditation in the Buddhist style are set. Uh, it's calming the mind or serenity meditation, and then uh, vipassana or insight meditation, which is uh, sort of looking into becoming intimate with the mind, sort of uh, becoming aware of what kind of thoughts does your mind serve you normally? What kind of feelings come up? Uh, as you become familiar with these, then you might start looking at the roots of these. Um, a lot of people live through life like they might you know, have an angry disposition, but they might not even be aware of it, or they might not even have questioned, where does this anger come from? Like, why am I angry with cats and dogs and, right. and whatever. So uh, even though the basics of Buddhist meditation are uh, very, very basics is the same, uh, the way you approach the themes are different because what life throws at us every day is different from day to day. Well, what a, let, me, let me give you an example here. Okay, so the, the classic advice on meditation is I guess you close your eyes although some people don't close their eyes uh, you focus on the breath and you and you breathe in you breathe out you focus on the breath and then some people would say uh, just watch the thoughts that go by and some and, uh, and other people would say uh, you know don't try not to think of things or try not to of control your mind. Some people say control your mind. I mean, I I'm not really sure whether the, whether a, a purpose or a function of meditation is to try to control the mind because when you're focusing on the breath, which seems to be easy enough, all sorts of things start happening in the in the mind. You know, the thoughts the thoughts start flying by. Do you do you view part of meditation as as sort of sitting back? And, and just observing the thoughts flowing through your mind? Or what, what is your spin on that, par on that part of meditation? Well, um, the, uh, you know, meditation is a physical activity. Hmm. I mean, just being alive is a physical activity. Yeah. Uh, it's getting back into the body. We're often in our thoughts and uh, in the thought world, the thought realm. Uh, so it, with meditation, the purpose of focusing on the breath is to come back to the body. It's the body that breathes. Right. All the sensations in the body, it's, uh, uh, 
knowing the difference between sensations and thoughts is very important, say, in pain pain management. Uh, knowing the difference between the physical pain and the stories you make up about pain, such as, oh, this is this is unbearable. I have to run to the pharmacy get something. Like, will it always be like this? Will it get worse? Oh, I can't. These are all thoughts. They're not sensations. Right. But pain is a sensation. Uh, and knowing the difference is really crucial in many ways. And in meditation also, uh, sensations come from the body. Uh, my body, my legs, uh, my arms do not speak English. They don't know words. Uh, they speak in sensations. So uh, if I hear words, uh, then then they're coming from my brain, not from my body. I see. Uh, so uh, the very first step that you mentioned, uh, getting in touch with the breath and so on, is a way of getting back to our home, which is the body, being being at home in the body, being in the body, uh, being embodied, uh, not being a thinker, but being a, a person who's alive in the, in the in the real sense of the word. Yeah, I I think you know what what is coming to me right now in listening to you, and this seems like it it connects to your point before about becoming more mindful as opposed to brainful which <laughs> yeah. which is which is sort of uh, sort of dipping into the depth of the mind going backward and sort of be and sort of uh, knowing the witness and and I've I think yes. I think the concept of witness is a great term but it takes a while to understand what it really means and and I know I know that I mean folks from the 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 Eastern uh, philosophy, you know, to Ken Wilber and all you know, all sorts of people talk about the witness, and this seems to me to be the way to get there, which is you are going backward, you're going uh, into the mind, and you are reaching that point, or striving to reach that point where you are observing the outer world as opposed to being manipulated by the external world something like that does that make sense yes well, yeah, yeah. whatever you're not aware of yeah. has you under its control right once you recognize it once you become familiar with it uh, then it's easier to talk back to it to have a relationship with it but uh Anger also, if you're not aware of your anger, uh, it rises and engulfs you, uh, and uh, you're in its embrace pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what you say is quite quite true. I, I totally agree. Yeah, well, I, I like the fact, see, the one thing that I am hopeful for for meditation, and I have been trying it myself, but the one thing that I'm hopeful that it sort of, it's like grooming a musical skill. I want to talk about music in a second, but it's sort of like grooming a you know a a, a musical skill or a, or a or a sport or a hobby 
where as you groom this mindfulness, it becomes more ingrained in the way you approach things. It's not like a quick fix. No, it's no, not it like a not quick, like it's, a it's quick not, a, it's not a quick fix. It's not like taking a pill and all of a sudden you're going to be happy that day. You know, you may be happy that day if you do take a pill, but, but, but meditation is what we're talking about is sort of unleashing this, this inner awareness. Yes. So, and uh, there, there you put your finger both on its strength and on its weakness. Uh, the weakness, of course, is, uh, is, 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 is it's only a tool. It's you know, unless you use the tool. Yeah. I, I mean, when you go to somebody's house and it's they're dirty, it's usually not because they don't own a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> but it's because they don't use it. <laughs> yeah. Good point. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, so learning uh, yeah. the basics of meditation is in itself not that difficult but applying it and uh, using it to the extent that it becomes part of you uh, and then that it, uh, it's available to you uh, when you need it uh, during the day and so on is, is, is another thing well I, I think that that is something that needs to be sort of highlighted more that this is really a method the meditation is really a method for for getting control of yourself and I also think it's a it's a method for understanding yourself. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Joseph Emmett, the author of Buddha's Book of Meditation that just came out. And it's it's one of these books that is it's pretty easy to read and I think it's probably got more practical and wise tips and lessons and stories about meditation than any book that I've seen. On the topic, I would like to move here, uh, Joseph, to the the role of music, because one thing that's really interesting about your background, as I said in the beginning, is that you have a doctorate in music from Boston University, and you use music, it seems to me, a lot to sort of smooth the way to successful meditation. I'd like you to talk about where music fits in to your your um, use of meditation and, and how maybe music has inspired you to um, sort of take an original approach to meditation. So why don't you talk about your musical background here a little bit. Well, uh, one thing I want to make clear is that what I mean by music is not uh, what commonly passes for meditation music or new age music those are sort of like lullabies for adults yeah you know what I mean? <laughs> right yeah you, you can buy a cd and it usually have the rising sun or the ocean on the cover and uh, uh it's relaxing music if you like uh what i mean by music is really songs and uh lately i've been calling them mantras uh simply meaning that uh the, the basic uh, themes of meditation, uh, a simple sentence or a simple phrase. Uh, one example is, just breathe, just breathe, everything will be all right. That's it. Uh, so uh, I think you'll agree I have a good reason for calling this a mantra because 
a song is usually more than that, you know? Right. And uh, there's a melody, a nice melody to it. And the melody sort of becomes an earworm, sticks in your mind, and mimics concentration. It uh, sort of, uh, the words travel on wings of song and enter your mind and stay in your mind. So uh, I, I use uh, use uh, uh, songs the way uh, uh, Hindu uh, spirituality, for example, uses uh, mantras like Hare Krishna, except that the uh, the words are not in Sanskrit; they are in yeah. English, and they are not about uh, exotic deities, but they are about the basics of mindfulness practice. Are these are the melodies also? I mean, some of these uh, songs are on your website. Right. Yes, yes, there yes. are twelve mindfulness songs on my website, mindfulnessmeditationcenter.org. Right. Center spelled the Canadian way, T R E. They're ready for download, and one way to use them, I encourage people to take meditation breaks during the day, just like we take a coffee break and I suggest that a good way of doing that is pick a song or two that speaks to you download it to your phone and uh, take five minutes after lunch uh, to sit outside or to walk outside and listen to the song or preferably sing with it or hum along with it uh, as I described, the song will sort of penetrate your spirit, uh, and uh, it, it, the whole thing will take five minutes because the songs are short, three, four minutes, and uh, it, it, that's a meditation break, and it will reconnect you with your meditation practice earlier in the day, because no matter how good a meditator you are, uh, by by lunchtime, you know your meditation experience early in the morning is, is a dim memory. You know? yeah. <laughs> there have been so many things along the way to yeah. sort of uh, take your mind away from that. You need to come back to it. Uh, once Thich Nhat Hanh was asked, how often should we meditate? And uh, to everybody's surprise, he said, all day. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean that that is that is part of what you're saying because I think it was also Joseph Campbell who said somewhere about uh, meditation is is thinking is thinking to yourself or something or he he put it something like that and he Maybe had th yeah okay he he okay. had a similar he had a similar um, approach to it which is that it is a a daily or constant um, sort of practice and maybe it's a it's just a function of realizing that indeed you are meditating throughout the day that you are sort of in this in this dual mode of acting but also witnessing your acting wit witnessing what you're doing um, so so I I really I really like that I I also want to point out that I am a a uh, fan of the concept of that certain truths are first expressed in poetry or 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 to the poets i might say which which i would include music 
in, in that. I would say amen to that. And and so, and the poet when you when you go back and you read, I mean, a lot of the Bible, a lot of the the Upanishads, I mean, a lot of the great uh, religious texts are are actually poetry. But and so when you when you um, sort of integrate a a mantra into your meditation, it seems to me that you're sort of connecting with a higher uh, form of awareness. Uh, I don't want to put this, I don't want to use this, I don't want to be too mystical here, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that I think music is a different connection to the divine, uh, to spirit, than, than what we talk about in our daily lives. And so I, I like, I really like that your your emphasis on music i think that that that's something that i think is uh very useful well uh, it's pr primordial i mean animals sing dogs uh, yeah. the wolves howl birds sing uh and uh perhaps humans also sang before we uh used words i mean there are all these work songs in africa there's uh uh, you know, you go to the corner church and they're singing. Uh, there's all this beautiful uh, Jewish music, the Nigunim and uh, uh, Kletzmer music. And uh, yeah, the music conveys, you're quite right there, more than words do, because the meaning of a word is restrictive in a way. Right. Whereas the word, the meaning of a musical phrase or poetry is expanding, expansive, in a, in a, it's sort of like the opposite in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that when you combine the two of them, uh, the effect is quite powerful. Now, the, diff the my problem with Indian, traditional Indian mantras is that the words do not mean all that much to me. Yeah. I mean... Uh, if I, perhaps if I was a Hindu, Krishna and Rama would mean more to me. Right. But at the moment, it, it, it doesn't. Uh, so, uh, but in the, in these mindfulness mantras, the words matter, and uh, yeah, so it's a, a dual meaning, uh, and uh, it's very powerful that way. Well, and I I didn't ask you this in the beginning of the show, but at this point, what what got you into mindfulness and meditation because your your career uh i mean you know you have a doctorate in music what was your entry point to uh to meditation and buddhism how, how did you get involved in this area well i've been dabbling in meditation uh uh, since my 20s I uh, as part of yoga classes I went to some Zen retreats and so on it, it sort of came and went and uh, you described your experience with meditation in a similar way uh, but at one point I encountered Thich Nhat Hanh and when he came to visit Montreal here and I was really intrigued that they sang a lot uh, as part of their presentation. Mm. Then I went to uh, Plum Village to see him, and music is such a big part of Plum Village there. Thich Nhat Hanh himself sings very well. He has a nice voice. And uh, there is 45 minutes of song before 
his morning talks. There is singing before walking meditation. There's singing before the work period. There's singing before meals. Yeah. Uh, and I felt right at home. Yeah, I see. I see. I see the connection there with your with your uh, degree in in music. It seems like like sort of a um, how can I put this? The perfect combination to to um, explore this area. Now, what do you see as the number one benefit of meditation or mindfulness? Why should somebody do this? Well, I could give you five reasons. Yeah. Uh, most people start with gaining peace of mind and serenity. And serenity meditation is right there in the Buddhist tradition. It's part of Vipassana. The first part of Vipassana is calming the mind. And the second reason uh, why people come to me and for meditation and uh, go for meditation in other places is overcoming stress, reducing stress. And as you know, I'm sure mindfulness-based stress reduction has been a big part of the scene uh, you know, John Kabat-Zinn was one of the pioneers. His book, uh, Full Catastrophe Living, goes back to 1979. Wow. Uh, and uh, and um, the third reason I discovered that it helps you sleep better, and that was the subject of my book, Buddha's Book of Sleep. I'm sure, personally, that Buddha was not only calm and peaceful during the day, but also when he lay down to sleep. And uh, his, uh, he was not overthinking, his, not, his mind was not scattered, and uh, his it was not the fact that his body was in one place, namely the bed, and his mind was somewhere else you know, having a big discussion with somebody. And that's what keeps you awake. Right, you know? right. Uh, the next big reason, and for me this is important, is creativity. Meditation helps, makes you more creative in many areas. Um, uh, in, the, in the Zen tradition, you have koans, which are questions you're supposed to have a burning question in your mind all the time. The idea is that your unconscious works on that question while you're doing something else, totally unconcerned, sleeping mm. or eating or taking a shower. And uh, the answer sometimes comes out of the blue. And blue in this context means you're unconscious. And when I'm say writing a poem and I'm stuck, I don't know where the next line is going to be, I just turn the question over to my unconscious mind, go and do something else. And uh, then I come back and I see either the answer is right there or because I see the question differently, like maybe it's the whole thing needs to be phrased differently, whatever. So. Creativity is using the whole mind, and uh, uh, mindfulness meditation gives me a handle on how to do that. That's good. And, and the last one 
the fifth reason that I suggest um, meditation is an indispensable tool for uh, productive life is what we started this discussion with, that what you brought up, uh, the brain's propensity for aggression, for dominance, for winning rather than coexisting. Uh, and uh, this is very, very important because uh, the physical part of our evolution is already begun. Like, we don't need say a second nose or a third hand in order to evolve further on this planet right what we need to do is use what we have differently and that is the next stage of evolution and mindfulness is an indispensable tool for going in that direction yeah, that's that's really well that's really well put. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Joseph Emmett, the author of the new book, Buddha's Book of Meditation, Mindfulness Practices for a Quieter Mind, Self-Awareness and Healthy Living. And we're talking about the values, the benefits of meditation. And I think that, you know, Joseph, you you put your finger on a lot of really important um, areas there that I think um, really resonate with me and it should resonate with the listeners because uh, so much of this uh, goes to really our our contentment as human beings you know you have peace of mind overcoming stress it helps you sleep creativity and then and then this problem of the the animal instincts and but one thing that strikes me here is that we're never going to get rid of the animal instincts, or we're never going to get—I don't think we're ever going to get rid um, rid of competitiveness. But we could have a different attitude towards it. I mean, I think there's always going to be sports. There's always going to be competition. Hopefully, there won't always be wars. And I hope that, <laughs> I, I hope that the Dalai Lama is right about about the value of meditation uh, at a young age. But but what what do you see um, this this evolution pointing towards? Because you know I'm I'm the type that believes in world transformation. You know I, I think that the world needs a change, and I do think that Pierre Del Jardin was right in many ways when he talked about the evolution of consciousness. Just like others have, others talked about that, but he put it into an evolutionary context. Do you see this having, do you see meditation as having a world-changing benefit at some point, or is this something, or is this a personal, a, a personal journey that is just to make us all happier or all more content uh, in, the, in, the, in the daily struggles we all have to deal with? Oh, you're, you're hitting on very, very basic issues here. Uh, Yes, there are countries like Bhutan where uh, meditation is part of, uh, I haven't been there, but from what I understand, is an important part of the culture. Uh, and uh, when I was in Thailand, uh, we were caught in the rain in, in a park and we took refuge in a gazebo. And the pigeons 
were, you know, they don't fly well in the rain pigeons. Yeah. And uh, they were also with us. And uh, I noticed that they were not afraid of people. They snuggled up to us. The pigeons hmm. came and snuggled up to my feet. Hmm. Pe people were pitting them, touching them. They were not afraid. And uh, I was so impressed. And uh, this is a Buddhist country. There are these little touches that, that come out. Uh, I think meditation is having an effect. But unfortunately, just like healthy eating, uh, it's not practiced by everybody. Yeah. Uh, just like there are, you know, many, many people who are not eating, not watching their diet, or not watching, not exercising, so on. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think meditation will ever get to be like uh, a totally communal activity. Yeah. But in the meanwhile, for the people who are who are uh, privileged in the sense that they are aware of this and they're practicing, I think it brings us a lot of benefits, much appreciated benefits. Well, it, it can't hurt. And I, I've been reading more and more um, like business leaders who, who meditate. And it's, I, I think it is, it's a, it's, it's a calming device, but it's also something that it's hard it's hard to argue against and it seems like it brings it brings us in touch with something that is basic to who we are and, mm -hmm. and that sort of that sort of leads to a, another question i have which a lot of people are probably wondering uh how do you know if you've successfully meditated how do you know if you've you know how do you know if if you've actually done it does a bell go off does does i mean what is a sign that somebody has actually um, meditated? Uh, there again, you've you've hit on another basic question. I think uh, I think that's a tough one because uh, uh, I'm personally positive uh, there are, that there are a lot of people who are sitting in the meditation pose and ruminating. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, how do you go from one to the other? I think you need a teacher at some point. Um, just learning meditation from books and from the internet is a little bit like learning brain surgery from books, yeah. except that in this case, you are the patient as well as the surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, your life is in your hands. You, you see, as you ruminate, you get worse. You get your habits become more entrenched. Your issues become deeper. Um, so it doesn't help. Uh, and by and, and, and by and by rumination, you mean by dwelling on a negative. Is that what you mean? Dwelling on the negative, going over past hurts, if you like, okay, okay. going over past regrets, yes. uh, uh, rehearsing future anxieties. And the trouble is that these kind of thoughts come to us uh, without being invited. Yeah. Uh, so all the, all the uh, tricks about meditation, about getting in touch with your breath, with your body, sensations, uh, 
chanting uh, mantras, all of these are strategies, if you like, in some way, of preventing these automatic thoughts uh, and going in the direction that you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when I I had a um, a friend of mine whose um, stepdaughter uh, tragically died in an automobile accident. It's happened to you know. It's a terrible thing, and I sent him I sent him some just some thoughts, and and one of them, I mean, and these these thoughts were um, something that I I myself try to do in moments of de- of despair and one of them was uh, find a place where there f- where there's a wide open space in your mind find that place that is wide open that is limitless because and to me that's what meditation is about for me it is it is sort of sort of um, experiencing the infinite uh, yeah. you know the the unlimited uh, not not being bogged down in in the in the stresses of the day. I mean, you have a very nice passage in your book about about not uh, dwelling on regrets. So many people second guess decisions that have already been made. They're, they cannot be undone. I mean, I think you use the term "it's against the law of physics." You know, despite <laughs> despite all the science fiction books that have been written and the fantasy books, no one's figured out a way to go back in time and, ch- and actually change change a decision. I mean, it's something. Well, let me put it this way: there have been science fiction books written on it, but nobody's really believes it can be done. So just get over it and move on. And I, and so I think that 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 is really um, the way I look at it. You know, find that find that eternal part of yourself um so i don't know if that makes sense to you but but um it's it, it that's sure the way does. that's the way i that's the way i look at it and now uh, i i need to get some quick free advice here on on how to deal with um stressful situations during the day because as i told you in the beginning joseph i think before the show i i would be and i think any lawyer doctors um, God, policemen, firemen, there's so many people under such stress and you cannot um, run away from it. It goes with the job, but there, there, there has to be better ways to deal with the stress. And, and here's an example that happens to lawyers all the time, which is your adversary um, is describing a situation and they're just getting everything wrong they're what, what some people would some people would call maybe it on, the, maybe on purpose right some people would call it distorting the truth and you know there there's less kind ways to put it but it's it happens all the time and the funny thing about law by the way is that both sides think the other side is distorting the truth and that's why nothing ever you know that's, that's why it's a difficult profession but but what I but where I'm going with this is is <clears throat> what do you do um, when you have those real encounters uh, in, in life uh, where someone really does something wrong. I mean, do you, do you do something different now after all your years of training when somebody cuts you off or when someone cuts in front of you in, in the line or when they just do something that's just 
rude? I mean, what what do you do? Is, is it, oh, it, there, there, there may be a number of uh, things I could say, but I'm going to try something here, Philip. Right now, I'm going to ask you to smile. Yeah, that's good. Go ahead. That's Go good. Ahead. I am. I'm, I'm, I am. That's good. <laughs> not e- it's, I, it's not I hard. Hear it. It's not hard for me to smile. It's good. Do you feel that it changes the way you see things right away? Like it changes your outlook. Yes. It changes your stress level. Do you feel that? Yes, yes. That's good. That's good. Thich Nhat Hanh famously said, sometimes I smile because I feel happy. And sometimes I feel happy because I smile. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, the our brain is constantly scanning the body. It wants to know, for example, if you're bleeding somewhere, it wants to know if there is a broken bone somewhere. It's constantly scanning the body. And when it finds a smile, it says, oh, we must be happy. And it sends happy endorphins through your system. It's, it's something that works both ways. And uh, this is, uh, you know, I, I quote uh, Eric Finzi, a dermatologist, who, uh, who uh, experimented by injecting Botox uh, into the frowning muscles of hmm. people suffering from clinical depression. Uh, they couldn't frown. And uh, after six months, their depression went away. <laughs> Uh, and his conclusion was that if, if you cannot express the, these feelings in some way in your body, uh, the brain does not uh, does not engage with them. And, and so, so I would say uh, that the easiest, most superficial way is to smile, to be lighthearted. Thich Nhat Hanh would say. Think how important is this going to feel 300 years from now? <laughs> yeah. No, I tell you, that, that, that's really good. I mean, there's a lot there, including the fact that uh, the physical, to me, is a reflection of, yeah. of the self or of spirit. And so when you, when you change the physical, you're, you're also having an effect on the, on the spiritual. Maybe you're doing it in reverse. Yes. But, or backwards yeah. but but it still it's it still has it still has an effect and then and then there's that other way to look at it which is smile inside you know i mean sometimes you can't like start laughing at the other side or you know but because it seems like you're being how can i put this flippant or something but 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 the smile inside is also is also good and i also think that's a great way to end the show uh joseph because with a smile, uh, be, be, right? With a, exactly with a smile, because because that's what it's all about. I mean, having having a sense of humor and and realizing, as you just said, part of being a witness is realizing that this is a big, amazing world we live in, and these little petty things that happen day to day are just sort of little, um, not even bumps in the road. They're 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 little, uh, you know leaves or or uh, blades of grass that yeah. that don't that don't influence the whole contour of the field so 
So that's, I really like that, and I again, that's a great way to end. And you've mentioned your uh, website a few times. Why don't you give it one more time for folks who want to um, enter into the world of meditation uh, using some of your ideas? Some of my songs. And some of your uh, songs, yes. More specifically. Yes. Uh, yes, uh, the website is mindfulnessmeditationcenter.org. And center is spelled the Canadian way, T-R-E. Uh, click on books. And then on Buddha's Book of Meditation, the latest book that Philip is discussing right now. And uh, that's perhaps the best part of the, of the website because there are free resources there that you can use uh, right away. They're waiting for you. Yes, and, th yeah, and thanks a lot, uh, Joseph. This has been I, uh, very educational. I mean, we sort of took a different, a couple different approaches here or there. And at the at the end, we see that uh, moving away from just brainfulness to mindfulness is really the way to go, rising above these, these animal instincts and letting, letting our consciousness, our mind sort of evolve. And really, at, I think we have, to, we have to be at the controls here. We have to do a better job of, of sort of pushing along this evolution of, of our mind and I think that this is where meditation mindfulness really comes in so once again this is Philip Camello this is conversations beyond science and religion join me next week when I'll have Nick Seneca Jenkel, Jenkel on we'll talk about his new book switch on uh, Joseph thanks a lot it's been very educational I hope hope you all and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and once again we'll see you next week and thank you, Philip, for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.